Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Spurman, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, I'm going to share with you the secrets I've learned from industry experts and how you can speed your path to publication. What is up, Creatiates? This is just you and me talking together. It's a near and dear to my heart. I am a work in progress where this is concerned. But I'll tell you what, I have spent so much time diving into this, and this is the big key to unlock your creative freedom and your success as a creative writer who wants to publish their book and make money on it. If you can get this one thing, everything else is going to come through. And I don't know why it's one of the hardest lessons to digest. You hear it all the time, probably don't know it, and you probably think maybe it won't apply to you because your stuff's just so good. Trust me, I've been there. I understand what you're thinking. I still believe every day in that egocentric part of me that my work is the best work out there and everybody would love it if they just give it a chance. Now, there's the other part of me that thinks that I'm a loser and I shouldn't be doing this, but that's not this conversation. This conversation is for you because whether you have the ego to, to state it out loud or it's something quiet and gnawing inside of you, you know your work is great. And so you think that everybody will love it. You got to put that away for now. This is how I think about it. You're saying right now that you're not going to define your audience because you're going to be the exception to the rule. I challenge you to think about it differently. For example, you know who your family is, right? I mean, there's no confusion. You don't you don't walk out to your car in the morning and see the neighbor and be like, oh, hey, dad. No, you know who dad is. You know who mom is. You know who your brother is. You know who your wife is. You know who your husband is. You know who your kids are. You know who your partner or your spouse is. You know those people. They're your family. They're easy to identify. And if you want to go have a family conversation, you know who to call. You know who to talk to. The same is true for friends. You know who your friends are. You know that there's that one guy that you run into at uh, the pickup basketball game who just makes you crazy. He's loud. He's gregarious. He's a ball hog. He's not your friend. And if you try to be friends with him, it's going to be soul crushing. But he's friends with somebody too. He's got his own niche. You're just not in it. You ever think about the fact that when you go into a store, you've already niched yourself? The grocery shelves. You walk right past all the baked beans because you don't like baked beans. You walk past all of the pickles. I'm talking to my wife right now because you don't like pickles. I stop at the pickles. I shop for all the pickles. When I see a pickle that I think might be delicious, I buy it just to test it out and see if it's like in my niche of niches because some pickles are better than others. Like Clawson is way, way better than Vlasic. Vlasic isn't even a pickle as far as I'm concerned, but hey, they're still on the shelves. There's a reason for that. Somebody's buying them. You go to the uh, Gap. And already, the gap has niched for a certain kind of person. Like, they, they care about a certain kind of customer. My dad wouldn't be caught dead in a gap. But if I go there, I don't even shop half the store because it's women's clothes. Now, if you buy women's clothes and you're a guy, that's awesome. You still found your niche. That's great. Within a niche, there's a niche and another niche. And we're always drilling down to this really specific thing that makes us us. And then somehow we get to our creative work and we're like, oh, but this applies to everyone. You see, you see the thought process there? What's happening in your mind? Yes, 
Your writing is timeless. Your writing is unique. Your writing is amazing. There's no question about it. You've spent the time to get good at what you're doing. So it's great. Your work is great. But you're aiming at the wrong target. So maybe you're not getting heard as much as you want to. You ever notice when you're on Twitter or Instagram, it doesn't quite work the same way with Facebook unless you really use groups, but you ever notice when you're on social media, certain videos, posts, comments just resonate with you? Do you ever stop and like those or retweet those or comment on those? You're self-identifying. You're finding your niche. You're building your community. Sometimes, maybe a lot of times, those people respond and you start to build a crowd around you. People who get what you're about and you get what they're about. And hey, again, listen, I I won't blame you if you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, but guess what? I, I'm different because I'm on Facebook and I keep like Bob as my friend, even though he can never stop talking about how Trump got like cheated out of the presidency. And I also keep Tanya as my friend, even though Tanya says that like Biden is the coolest guy in the world and she's really glad that Trump is not in the White House anymore and he should totally be in jail, man. You got to stop that. By the way, I don't know why I picked that voice, but anyway, just don't do that. Ask yourself, why do I have such a hard time accepting that my writing is for a specific person? You might come up with some easy answers like, well, I want, I want my stuff to sell. Or maybe, maybe you're thinking about the books that have transformed your life. You're thinking about these works that were so good and you know that they connected with hundreds thousands, millions of readers. And you think there's no possible niche that's many millions big. Eh, Somewhat true. The United States has many millions of people. So does Russia. So does China. So does India. But you can't put the people in all of those countries together in a room and expect them to understand each other or agree with each other. Not on the surface. Something interesting you can do is find people from all of those places who agree on a topic. Something strange happens. Something really life-changingly strange happens when you put people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different economic tiers, different religions, different political views in a room with a common interest. You know, that's actually why Bob thinks that he's friends with everybody. Bob thinks he's friends with everybody because he shared a common interest with people who had some radically different beliefs than him in in certain ways, but he met them through a niche, a specific thing. Because Bob, he secretly likes to sew. And so he went to a sewing group and there were a bunch of people there all sewing together from different backgrounds. There were poor sewers and rich sewers. There was Bob the sewer. They were all there sharing in something they loved. And unless one of them said or did something during that period of time that so lit him up, He started to trust them the more time he spent with them. And then after weeks and weeks of going back to the sewing group, Bob can't bring himself to hate Richard, even though Richard, I don't know why all the people in the sewing group are guys. I mean, maybe I'm just trying to be that progressive. Anyway, Richard, Richard has a completely different view about whatever than Bob does. And it's offensive. But Bob's kind of like, all right, I'm going to let this one slide because, you know, Richard is a really good seamster. Is that what you... Anyways, oh geez, I'm way in over my head here. You get my point. Something amazing happens when when you find your niche is that you actually can connect more broadly. But hold the train. 
We're not there yet. We're not there yet because you haven't even tried to find your niche yet. I just want to open you up, give you a little preview of what happens when you do the hard work of finding your audience. And I promise you, you can still do it more. I am still working on finding my niche even better. Take this for example. Suppose you write boxcar children fan fiction. Well, commit to pleasing the readers of the boxcar children, the fans of that series. And then go crazy. Go deeper than that. Commit to writing fan fiction for boxcar children readers of the original series, not the reboot, the OG. And I can hear you saying, but Jody, if I get that granular, there's not even going to be enough people to sell a book to. I hate to say it to you, but here's a little reminder. If you haven't listened to my last episode, the average book does not sell more than 500 copies. Total, 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 total. Ever, 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 ever. Here's the secret. There are more than 500 fans of the original Boxcar Children series. And just about any niche you can think of, there's more than 500 people. You just can't find them until you know what you're looking for. On top of that, this is how you get the engine spinning. Okay, are you ready for this? You get the engine spinning. You get the cylinders firing. I'm talking about mechanics like I know anything about cars, but guess what? Cars aren't my niche, so I got to get rid of these silly metaphors. You get traction. I get traction. We understand traction. You get traction when you produce a product for that niche. So we'll stay with it. The Boxcar Children, the original series. You write a fan fiction book in the exact style of those books. You release it to the world. You know who you're looking for. You find a thousand readers. They buy your book. What happens when they read your book? Yeah, they love it. It's perfect. It's exactly what they wanted. They've been craving another Boxcar Children book just like the original series. And this is it. This does it. It's the right tone. It's the right characters. It's the right kind of everything. It's magic. It's magic. And they love it so much that they tell their friend and they bug their friend. It's not you. You didn't buy an ad for this. You found them and they found their friend and their friend remembers feeling nostalgic about the boxcar children. And so they decide to buy the book. Immediately, you just got outside of your niche. But because there was a raving fan that did the recommendation, you think that that fan is going to stop with one recommendation? How many people are going to buy the book because the raving fan tells everybody about it? So look, you're going to get more than a thousand sales residual off of finding a thousand raving fans. That's the power of the niche. You don't believe me. I don't know how to convince you anymore. Ah, uh, but I'll try. I'll try. But first, I want to tell you what my niche is. Because if you're here and you're not interested in doing what I'm here to try to help you do, we're both wasting our time. My niche is to find writers who want to publish and make money doing it. To find fiction writers who want to publish and make money doing it. It's hard for me to embrace that next tier of fiction writers because I struggle. I want, I want this. It'll work for everybody. I know it'll work for everybody if they'll just do it. And yet, I don't want to. I don't want to narrow down anymore. It's hard to find people who love what you're doing. You feel like every single person who finds you, five decide they don't have enough time. The journey got too hard. Because guess what? This is hard work. Writing a book, marketing a book, selling a book, doing it all over again. We have jobs. We have families. We have our bodies to think about. Health, fitness, food. 
It's endless. So every time that I find somebody who connects with me right where I'm at and wants exactly what I'm talking about, I feel like I'm losing that many more people, like five times that many. This is, uh, this is, called, this is called unhealthy thinking. <laughs> I don't know. Self-deception. There are so many fiction writers out there right now who desperately want to publish their first book and make money at it. And there are so few people out there right now who are speaking directly to fiction writers who want to publish their book and make money doing it. There's plenty of people who are talking to nonfiction writers. There's plenty of people who are talking to motivational speakers. Yeah, when we get down to it, fiction writers who want to publish and make money doing it. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Who are you writing for? Who's your ideal reader? Okay, I can prove to you that you operate inside of a niche. Think of your favorite book right now. You might be someone who says, ah, I don't have a favorite book, but you know, I've got, I've got like maybe five or 10 that I think are really great. Think of one of them, any one of them. It's fine. Why do you like it? You're going to have a hard time answering that question. I'm almost positive unless you are uh, a critic. And if you're a critic, you're only using the language that you've been taught to use to describe the not truth about why you like stuff. (laughs) That's why critics are so beloved because they're taught to uh, evaluate things. Falsely. (laughs) Sorry, critics out there. Um, You're not my target audience anyways. You don't need to listen. (laughs) Oh, You love the book that you're thinking of because when you read it, you were convinced that it was written specifically for you and you alone. You might be a practical kind of person who knows that the book wasn't written specifically for you. You may understand that the book you're thinking of was written before you were born and that the author died before you were ever born. But still, when you read it, you were like, this is this book is me. I literally am transported back into time. I'm the character on the page. Or if you're not the character on the page, something about your ambition, like the truest you, who you are. You're Frodo Baggins, baby. You know for sure that you are the one who can carry the weight of the ring. You're Queen Susan of Narnia. You identified with a character on a page, with a struggle, with a situation, with a circumstance that felt so wholly unique to you that it lived and grew inside of you. And I think that everyone listening right now, everyone I want to talk to, has had their life changed by a novel or a short story or both or a novella. Oh, the in-between. Not quite long enough to get the formal title of novel. Too long to publish as a short story, so um, what what do we call it? A a novella. Yeah, that's it. We'll call it a novella. In case you've never listened to me before, uh, you won't know that I mentioned Dennis Johnson literally every time the microphone is recording. Uh, But his book, Train Dreams, more and more I consider my favorite work of fiction. It's a novella. So, you know what? You, You can do it, novella. You're awesome. I love that book because the main character embodies the kind of spirit and seeking, and the unique, addictive, destructive, self-destructive thought process that is so much me. I always think, I always think that he is me and I am him. That's how it feels when you read your favorite novel or one among your favorite novels is that you just identify with something, that there's almost a, 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 an erasure of who you are and who it is and that you're both each other. Yeah, I keep writing because because of Dennis Johnson, because I want to do that to somebody else so badly. I want I want my novel to touch somebody else the way that his touched me. Because look, I've been through a lot of life at this point. I've been through a lot of life at this point. And I know there's a lot more to go through, but the biggest part of my life is is reflected 
in that work, and I've been sustained through a lot because of that work. His novels, among a few other authors, sit in the priority place at my standing desk so that when I turn my head to the left, like I'm doing right now, I see the spines of those authors' novels and short story collections, and I see them every day, and I think about them daily. And I do that because more so than any religious or spiritual experience I had, more so than any political category that I affiliated with, more so than any object or experience, I identified with what was happening in those authors' books. And I'll be honest, some, some are better than others. Some of the works, I mean. Dennis Johnson writes a book called Already Dead that I've uh, read once, completely failed to understand, and been afraid to try again. It's a rather big book. David Foster Wallace. Um, you, you probably can't believe that I love him, and I probably love him because I thought it was a cool thing to do. And that is a little bit of a side note, but you sometimes can trick yourself into changing your identity because you think it's the right thing to do. Um, and sometimes that's okay. That's probably the case with my favorite band, Pearl Jam. I I love them as a rebellion because my parents told me, specifically my mom told me, I could not listen to Pearl Jam. You're not allowed to buy that album. You can't buy any Pearl Jam albums. They're too mature for you, boy. Sometimes I wonder if she did it on purpose. But anyways, that's the truth. I was told I could not buy a Pearl Jam album, and here I am today. I call them my favorite band. I, by the way, am a favorites kind of person. You don't have to be, but you do have to identify with something that's like like at the top of the list. So I naturally like to niche. I like to be like, hey, this one thing, that's my single niche. You can understand me if you understand that. I like the shorthand. I do. You should as well. Um, you don't have to like favorites, though. I don't mean it that way. I just mean be comfortable. Niching. It's good. Anyways, David Foster Wallace. Infinite Jest. Beautiful book. Wonderful book. Worth the read. I love it. Speaks to me. It speaks to who I want to be, the kind of intelligence that I want to have. Again, there's a lot of addiction in there. Uh, you're probably sensing a pattern. But he wrote that book on math, and let me tell you, even inside of the, the David Foster Wallace niche, which is already admittedly small, I ain't going to really... I read the math book so I could be a completionist, but I didn't understand it. Okay. All right. Okay. We've done it. We've done it. One more example for you. This one comes from a movie. My favorite movie is one called the trip. And listen, right now, even though I've put everything out on the line, you still are not convinced that you have to niche or quite as much as I am trying to get you to do. Here's why you should. Okay. My favorite movie, The Trip. Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon. Steve had a girlfriend that uh, is in America doing some kind of like writing type of work. She was supposed to go with him on this cool trip across the English countryside to eat at all of these really great high-end restaurants because she got this job and maybe their, you know, relationship's kind of on the rocks, he decides to phone his friend, Rob, to go with him instead. Rob has some free time because he's not a really successful actor and he doesn't have any jobs booked. So Steve and Rob go out on this trip and eat at these restaurants. And the entire movie takes place inside of a hotel, the cab of a car, or a restaurant. It's jokes, 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 impressions, laughter, cynicism. It's a celebration of food and English countryside and two dry English comedians. It's talking. I can quote the vast majority of that movie. And whenever anybody asks me what my favorite movie is, I get this feeling inside of me. Uh, I think it's called extreme giddiness. Because I get to do two things. I get to say, uh, I, I get to start exactly like this. I'll be, I'll be myself. I'm doing an impression of myself. Exactly how I do it in real life. I say, 
Oh, well, I, I can't really actually recommend it to you because um, it's, uh, it's just not really for most people. But my favorite movie is The Trip. And it's, it's like, you know, I've already explained that. So that's the end of me doing an impression of myself. But you see what I did there? I literally identified as being special and unique by niching myself to the movie. And, you know, in my fantasies, I love this. I love thinking I'm so special that this movie was made just for me and nobody else will like it. You probably won't like it. You probably won't enjoy it. I love feeling unique and special because I like a movie that most people wouldn't like. But if it was really as niche as I like to think it is, making me so special because I was one of the, the chosen ones who understood it, do you think they could have made three sequels? Because they have. There are three sequels to the original Trip movie. It's clearly connecting with a rather large audience. Now, it's low budget. I get that. But by any standards, anything that can go for four Four films is a success, a commercial success. That's the beauty of what you're called to do with your writing. Identify the niche and trust that only when you embrace your small target audience, good things will happen. So let me talk to you if you are here and you're in the beginning stages, just starting to conceive of the story idea. And maybe even in the next few days, you're going to start the process of writing. Here's a really practical reason to know your niche. You can ask questions like, uh, do my characters curse? Are there, are there, are, are there adult words on the page? Uh, are my characters going to find themselves in mature situations like sexual encounters? If so, how much am I going to describe it? What kind of education level are my readers going to have? Do I want to use elevated college level English? Or do I want to write at a third grade level? Now, in case you think that that sounds like condescending, if you write business books, everybody tells you to write at the third grade level. You've read these business books. They don't feel like they're written for third graders, but they're written to be clear enough that a third grader could read it and understand the concept. That's great. If you're writing for third graders, take that to heart. You get your own niche. And there are infinite number of questions you can ask in identifying your audience. But something... Again, amazing happens when you do this. And this is a million-dollar tip. You might not take it. You might resist it. You might fight it. And you might never fully embrace it. But if you do, I just made you a millionaire. Trust me. So talk to me. You're going to find me years later and be like, Jody, you made me a millionaire. You're welcome. By finding the exact niche that you're working for, you are going to be more productive. You're going to produce more work. You're going to do it faster, easier, better, with less headaches, fewer hours, and better, higher quality. That's what happens. You benefit from the niche because you're not trying to question like, should I use a curse word here? Should I have a sex scene here? Should I, should I, should I? You already know you have clarity of definition. Having a niche eliminates choices for your brain. And a brain that has fewer questions has better function. You don't believe me? This is a well-known story. Go, 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 go check my facts here, okay? When Barack Obama got into the Oval Office, and I don't care how you feel about him as a person or a president... He's one of 45 people in history at that time who sat in the Oval Office. So he was doing something right, okay? Regardless of how you feel about his politics. When he got there, he so embraced the theory of exhaustion that choices exhaust our brain and make us less effective that he owned just seven suits. He wore the same suit every single day of the week 
the same day of the week every day during his presidency. He had a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday suit. Never changed because he knew the power of knowing what you're doing and eliminating decisions. That's dedication. And I'm calling you to be dedicated too. If you want to sell a lot of books, you have to do this. Well, let's take it a little bit further. How did he even get to the Oval Office? Well, he had to appeal to the people of Illinois so that they would elect him to the Senate. But how in the world did he appeal to the people of Illinois? Well, he had to appeal to uh, South Chicago. It's the one little, you know, part of a really big state. How did he appeal to South Chicago? He had to get his neighborhood engaged. He attracted a neighborhood that then built a community in South Chicago, that then built a community in Illinois that then gave him a platform to speak to the United States. And even then, he just barely had a majority. You think it's going to be any different for you? Niche down and you'll do great, great things. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling the truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. Thank you.